There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast. And Greg, I'm still getting used to saying 2024 and not 2023. I was just actually getting familiar with 2023, so 2024 is, I don't know, it's starting to sound like time is really passing. 2024, 24, 24, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you say 2024 or 2024? I know the kids are just using it like 23, 24, kind of like how we used to say 86, 87. So I guess you just drop the 2000 part, which is, I mean, makes sense, right? Like, why drag it out? That's true. You know, you got to abbreviate everything. That's right. And then they say things to me like no cap, which I really don't know what they're talking about. You don't know what no cap means? Not really. Okay. I know what it means in our world, like small cap, large cap, red cap. No cap. I had one of my son's friends say, I bought a new baseball cap, speaking of caps. Oh, yeah. And she said, that hat is trib. I had no idea what she was talking about. I assumed it meant like good. Yeah. Okay. But trib. They have a whole other language. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Speaking of different languages, Greg, last week we reviewed what happens in the new year, every new year. Yep. And that is when we get all the lists and ideas of what to invest in from all the so-called experts, Yep. all the predictions, whether we want them or not. And well, as it is a new year, we're going to talk about resolutions today, Greg. And I got a question for you. Have you made any or do you plan on making any New Year's resolutions this year? Ah, Good question. And happy New Year, everyone. Resolutions, I usually make the same resolutions over and over again. Yeah. You know, I resolve to lose weight and get in better shape. I worked out last year. You were, I'm, I'm down. I <laughs> worked out last year. That's I'm, a pretty broad thing to say. I'm down uh, weight-wise, so that's no, you've, okay. You've been doing good. Yeah. Yeah. What other kind of resolutions? You know, resolve to play the guitar more. Haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. Read more. I'm part way there. Not a complete failure. I hate that resolution about read more. Yeah. Because then it means that you're not reading enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you sound illiterate. Like we read lots of things. I just don't happen to read a lot. Well, of and books. one of the reasons why I don't read a lot of books is because we read so much here at the office. I mean, it's yeah. like we're bombarded and, and there's stuff that we have to read and there's stuff that we might read even if it ticks us off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, today we're focusing on something around New Year's resolutions, and it's called the National Quitters Day. Wow. Yeah, this is something different. This is like quitting the gym or any other New Year's resolution like you just described. Yeah. And it's a real thing. Like quitting the gym and how it relates to our financial well-being is what we're going to talk about today. But Greg, do you know how long people tend to keep up their New Year's resolutions after New Year's or or as they make them in the holiday season? I would have thought a month or two. It's about two weeks. Wow. The second Friday in January is also known as National Quitters Day, which tends to be obviously around the 14th of January every year. This year, it's January 12th. Boy, that's fast. You know, if you join a gym, you might only get to the gym once or twice in the first week. And then you're saying by the end of the second week, you're done. <laughs> Your payments might not have even even started by the time you quit that gym. 
That's a crazy statistic, but it's a real one. Maybe they should combine that with National Pancake Day, you know, quit the gym and have some pancakes. <laughs> I don't know what day National Pancake Day is. I don't day either. Is, but. So anyways, people are probably wondering what the heck this has to do with investing. And we're going to get to that link, but bear with us as we get through this National Quitters Day yeah. issue. Yeah. So don't throw your dumbbells at us. And we're not promoting a sedentary lifestyle. We're not promoting National Quitters Day, in fact. But what we are talking about is looking at your fitness expenses and in the context of looking at your financials, finding alternatives that might either save cash or help you achieve your goals in a different way. Yeah. We're talking about finding ways to not quit, essentially. Yeah. I mean, most New Year's resolutions do focus around fitness goals, I find. Yep. Like everybody always says, oh, I got to lose some weight or I got to yep. get in shape this year. But sometimes these gym memberships that people buy, they actually become financial burdens. Now, have you ever considered the return on investment for that expensive gym membership and wonder if it's worth it? Yeah. I mean, I remember being in a gym the first week of January one year and I was working out with a trainer and I was complaining to the trainer that it was like way too busy. And he reminded me that I should be thanking all of these people for subsidizing my gym membership. Yeah. And that most of them would not be here in a few weeks. And yeah. Of course he was right. That's kind of sad, actually. And for you, who was using the gym, that's great. For the people with unused memberships, they tend to haunt those people every month, you know, paying for a service that you're not using. For instance, maybe having multiple Amazon Prime accounts. Why do you got to bring that up, Greg? <laughs> All right. So how, do, how does that relate to investing? <laughs> yes, I have multiple Amazon Prime accounts. I like to refer it to as Amazon. Prime. Amazon. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right on. So how does it relate to investing? Well, that's a good question. I mean, just as we need to evaluate the return of investment of our fitness expenses, it's essential to assess the returns on things like our investments, right? Yep. Are there assets in your portfolio that are costing you more than they're worth? Maybe it's time to cut ties with some of those financial weights that are holding you back. So things like high expense mutual funds, active trading in account that generates a lot more commissions, things like that. So quitting the gym and reevaluating your investments both require a critical look at where your money is going and whether it aligns with your goals. You know, and basically it's about optimizing your resources for a healthier future, a healthier financial future. Yeah, and I did this back in COVID myself. Speaking of optimizing our resources towards things like fitness, I had a gym membership and then the gym shut down. Yeah. You remember that? I remember that. Right? Yeah. And I remember my gym called me and they said, hey, we just want to see if you plan on coming back. Well, the guy was on the phone with me. I had my AirPods in and I was listening to him and talking to him. I was actually setting up a home gym in my house. Right on. And I said, I don't think so. You know, I think I'm going to just do this instead. And that became a more cost-effective way for me of doing it. And it was easier. It's easier to achieve that goal of exercise when you just have to go downstairs versus get in your car and drive to a gym and change and do all the things that come along with it, right? Yeah. What's well, interesting because for some people, it is much easier just to go downstairs. For others, it's almost, in some ways, I have gym equipment in my basement and sometimes it's easier for me to say, yeah, I just don't feel like it right now. I'll do it later and then put it off, you know? So a lot of it comes down to commitment and finding balance and making choices. And the key thing is you want to make intentional choices. You know, so in the spirit of National Quitters Day, the day you reassess your gym membership and other financial commitments, you want to take a moment and reassess the investments that you have. 
what financial weights can we shed? How can we redirect those resources towards maybe a more prosperous future? You know, and I think the gym membership example is a good one because if you commit, whether it's working out in your basement or commit to going to a gym and making the dollars that you spend there worthwhile, it really talks about making it almost automatic. Years ago, we talked about the book, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Great book. You know, Wait, are we recommending people read that book? Absolutely, we yeah, are. Go uh, get and it. if they've read it, reread it, because it talks about making things automatic. Like you talked previously about making your workouts automatic, because when you get out of bed, you get right into your gym stuff. You know, and the other thing could be stopping on your way to work if you're using the gym. And the same thing applies to investments. You know, so investing is not easy for a lot of people. So you want to come up with things that make it automatic, whether it's things like automatic monthly contributions to RSPs, tax-free savings accounts, things like that. You got to find a way to make it automatic. And so you don't have to think about it all the time. Exactly. Because if you spend time thinking about it, you tend to not do it. Right? That's right. Well, let's relate this back to our portfolios and future wealth concerns. I mean, what can we do to achieve these goals? I mean, we believe there's kind of four or five steps and we've used these in many presentations over the past, Greg. Yep. Now, this applies to physical fitness, but it applies to your financial well-being as well. Right? right on. I mean, the first thing is, and there's only four here that we're going to go through, set a goal. This is not a stretch goal. This has to be a specific goal. So if it's health-related, instead of saying, like, I'm going to lose weight this year, you've got to set a specific goal. Like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds by the end of the year. Right. If it's your retirement plan, it could be something like I'm going to save $10,000 this year. I mean, those are specific goals. Those aren't like I'm going to lose some weight or I hope to save some money this year. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You want to take us through the next one? Number two would be make it measurable. So uh, just as you know, described earlier to achieve a goal, you've got to be able to measure your success. And if it's losing 10 pounds, then you might want to break that down to a monthly goal. It sounds like a lot, you know, to lose 10 pounds in a year, whatever, but monthly, that's less than a pound a month. So that's a way to break it down and make it measurable and something that you want to measure, you know. So, you know, there are a lot of people that have different views on how frequently you should weigh yourself if you're trying to lose weight. But I would argue that you better weigh yourself regularly. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know, the same so, thing for your portfolio, right? That's right. Exactly. So you want to review your portfolio. You don't want to review it too frequently because just the general noise that happens in the market, for example, could expose you to some uh, unhappy moments or stress, but reviewing it regularly is important. Yeah. So if you wanted to save $10,000 for that year, if you wanted a measurable goal, I mean, that's only $833 a month. That's right. Which again, might sound like a lot, there's lots of people that say, well, I don't have an extra $833 yeah. a month. Yeah. What if you broke it down to on a weekly basis, like yeah. 192 bucks a week? Sure. I don't know. I feel like most people could cut their expenses somewhere to come up with well, it well, if that's that was right. their goal. And that's right. And listen, whether your goal is $10,000 a year, 50000 or 2000 mm-hmm. you know, it's important to have a goal, make it measurable and stick to it. Yeah. Okay. Number three, I'm lumping together two of them in this one. So these are smart goals that we're talking about. The A stands for attainable and the R stands for realistic. And I'm going to lump these ones in together. That's right. Because in our goal setting exercise, we're not talking about losing 25% of your body weight, nor are we talking about building your wealth by a million dollars this year. It's got to be a realistic goal 
Like it has to be an attainable, realistic goal, Greg, right? So for the one pound per month that you mentioned, maybe that translates into burning an extra 500 calories a day or maybe eating 500 calories less per day. Maybe it sounds like a lot, but I think about my trips to Starbucks. You know, I like to go to Starbucks. I'm aware of that. Yeah, almost every day. Almost every day? In most countries I've ever been in. Right. (laughs) That's just part of my being. But there's a big difference. Like I can go to that barista and I can order a pumpkin spice latte. Yep. Which is a delicious treat. Sure. It's like almost 500 calories. Exactly. One drink. Yeah. 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 Or I can order my usual, which is just like an Americano with a bit of cream. Yeah. It's like 50 calories. Exactly. So I've just saved 350 or so calories just in that one decision, right? In fact, I'm not going to have two pumpkin spice lattes today, so I've just saved 1,000 calories. Well, that's one way of looking at it, Greg. I think you're looking at it the wrong way. It's like going on a savings spree. (laughs) Like I'm going to spend less today to save money? Is that what you're saying? That's right. For the people that are looking at the financial one, like the $10,000 a year, gaining that extra $833 per month in savings, maybe that's just making some modest adjustments. Like I know in our house, we like to eat out once in a while, right? Yeah. Maybe instead of twice a week, it's once a week. Sure. Maybe instead of buying lunch out most days, it's packing lunch most days, right? Yeah. I mean, these are very simple adjustments. Yeah, exactly. And the last thing is uh, it has to be a timely goal. So that's the T in SMART. So you could say you're going to lose 10 pounds in January, but that might not be the right amount of time. Means you don't hit that goal, you get frustrated, and then you quit. By January 12th. Exactly. Like you haven't lost 10 pounds in 12 days, so you quit. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And likewise, you know, for your savings, you could say you're going to save $10,000 in January alone, but you may not have that cash flow etc. So it's got to be timely, but it's also got to be a reasonable period of time. So if you say, well, I'm going to lose 10 pounds sometime in the next 10 years, that's not really going to motivate you very much. And so you want it to be timely, meaning it ties into your achievable and realistic uh, goals. Yeah, I think one area we can all improve on is what do you do when you don't hit that goal on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis? I'm sure you've been in this situation. You said, okay, I'm going to save $833 this month. But what do you do when you didn't do it? Yeah. And unfortunately, that's when people quit. Yeah. But you got to give yourself a break. Like instead of beating yourself up for eating too much that day, not working out that day or spending too much that week or month. I mean, Greg, for me, what if you accepted that sometimes that just happens? And I think you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. Well, I hate it when people say that because when you say when I say I'll be honest, it means are you not being honest the rest of the time? Well, that's talking? what it implies, yeah. but I mean, I try to live an honest life, okay. you know? But where I have fallen down in the past and my wife knows this all too well is around buffets. Oh, buffets. And around the Christmas season, lots of lunches and dinners and buffets and potlucks and all that stuff. My self-control at buffets, Greg, is mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. And like even crappy buffets, even the ones with the food that you're like, do people really want to eat that? Yeah. I mean, I tend to gravitate to the high carb items that taste great, but have like zero nutritional value. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I I know exactly. Like if we eat at home, it's very, we eat pretty healthy. You know, it's like very specific diet. It's, you know, some protein, vegetables, maybe a small starch. Mm -hmm. If I go to the buffet, it's like, Carbs. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And a little bit of protein. Like, it's kind of crazy to do that. But I mean, to me, it's kind of the same thing for saving and spending habits. Like, we just came out of uh, November and December. And in November, we've got Black Friday sales. Yeah. 
Did you participate in any Black Friday sales? I did not. No, neither did we. Mm-hmm. But that actually creates something. It's like a fear of missing out almost. That's right. Right? For like, sure. You know, because there's some pretty good deals on yep. things. And that's followed up by Cyber Monday sales. Yeah. Right? Which is, I think, surpassed Black Friday in total sales volume. Not to mention Amazon Prime Days, of which you have multiple. (laughs) Stop it. Amazon Prime. That's true. And then, of course, you've got Christmas sales, which is followed by Boxing Day sales. Yeah. So there's all these opportunities to, like, spend money to save money. It's kind of like a buffet of spending opportunities. Yeah. I have to create a strategy on dealing with buffets, and that could be food or so-called sales. And I've got to give some flexibility to some of the time periods. But I mean, at the buffet line, maybe it's just taking a smaller portion of that delicious high carb item that I really want, you know, for spending. Maybe it's just being more mindful of what I'm spending. Like, I don't know, Greg, like Black Friday kind of cracks me up because there's all these people say, well, what if you miss it? Yeah. And it's like, well, did you really need that item? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, who created the need? Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes it's a need that uh, isn't yours. It might be somebody else's, but uh, you get caught up in it for sure. I worked at a clothing store when I was in university and we had Boxing Day sales. You know what that was? It was taking all the crap out of the back, putting it in a special bin that said Boxing Day sale special, yeah. 50% yeah. off. It was just getting rid of all the crap they couldn't yeah, sell. For sure. But remarketing it as like a great deal. Exactly. Isn't that kind of funny? It is. Yeah. So it's me, and I hope listeners agree with this. You are the sum. You are the aggregate of all of your one-off decisions. And that could be at the buffet line. That could be at in the spending arena. I don't know. Got anything to add to that? No, absolutely. Every day we're forced to make multiple decisions, whether it's uh, spending decisions, eating decisions, you know, all sorts of things. How we interact with our family and friends. I mean, those are all... No, those are all conscious decisions that we have to make. And so the point is, make good decisions and look for real opportunities. So here's where Black Friday sales work. Let's say somebody has been planning to buy a certain item. So rather than rushing out on Black Friday and just loading up on stuff because it's on sale, if you've been planning for something and then you save up and something that normally would cost you $1,000 is now $700, well, that's a good opportunity to buy. And so you can use Black Friday to your advantage, or you can let it take advantage of you. And I think that's where we see opportunities, for instance, in investments, right? And this is how it ties into investments. So, you know, the interesting thing is investments is when things go on sale, people are afraid to buy. Yeah. When items go on sale, coffee makers, gym equipment, uh, whatever it might be, People are falling all over them. When stocks go on sale or on, when bonds go on sale, there's a lot of fear and despair and things like that. And this wait, is, wait, that's a good point, though, because if you were like trying to buy that coffee maker and you're waiting for that Black Friday sale, you would feel like you've just won something like you. That's right. You know, but in the stock market, it's different. That's right. And obviously, we've talked about this before. It's natural to feel fear when stocks go down, because most investors already have money in the market. And so when things go down, they're not thinking, oh, I need to buy more to get at a low price. They're thinking, oh my gosh, everything I have is going down in value. And if it keeps going at this rate, I'll be down to zero. You know, and it kind of ties in a little bit to National Quitters Day, you know, because probably most people quit because 
they don't feel things are going their way. They went to the gym for the first couple of weeks, worked out two or three times a week, and so far they haven't lost any weight or they don't look any different in the mirror. And they say, well, that's it. You know, it's obviously isn't working. You know, the same thing can happen in investments. You know, we go through, we know historically that there's a 10% correction in the market every one to two years. And I think it's average one and a half. So let's call it one to two. So if every time you got a 10% correction, you said, okay, well, this isn't working for me. I got to get out. Then that totally derails your future success or meeting those goals that you, you set for yourself. But if you, rather than that, understand, as we said earlier, that, well, you know, things happen, you know, and sometimes things don't go in the right direction all the time. You slip up at that buffet and uh, pound back 12 pounds of mashed potatoes and gravy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not looking at you there. <laughs> so what happens? And you move on. And so, you know, I think it's one of those things that you have to look for opportunities. Most people are not able to really jump in when markets go down 10% because the fear is, well, okay, but they're down 10, but they could be on their way down 20 or 30. But maybe they're fully invested and that's why they don't have the liquidity to jump exactly in. Exactly right. Yeah. So what do we do? What well, we've talked about all the time, and that is rebalance. Yeah. If one part of the market has gone down, 10% or more, then there's always an opportunity to reallocate more resources to the side that's down by taking funds from the side that's up. I think there's three parts to that. The first part is when the market's down, like it was in September and October of this year, yeah. it was down pretty significantly. Yes, it was. Right? So your first option would be if you have cash, you want to invest. Yep. Your second option would be rebalancing. But yep. maybe you couldn't rebalance because bonds were down at the same time as stocks or yep. for whatever reason, right? Then your third option is you got to just ride it out. Exactly. Right? And if you just wrote it out, the third option of the three best options, well, November and December were amazing. Yeah. You know, there was tons of return in November in both and December. stocks and bonds, by the way. Yeah. So you didn't have to have a bunch of cash to put into the market. You just had to be patient. And that's a really short time frame, right? Like that, we're right. talking like two to four months. Yeah. I mean, normally when we're talking to people investing, we're talking about like five to 10 or more years, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you're right. You know, and I think that's the buy and hold strategy, right? If you buy and hold and do nothing else, you'll probably be just fine over a long period of time, particularly with a diversified portfolio. If you buy and rebalance, you'll be slightly better off. And if you dive in and reallocate or, or allocate new money when things are on sale, you'll probably do even better. But the nice thing is just doing nothing, you'll probably do okay. And that's the key thing. Yeah, and you've got to understand that those markets are cyclical, just like Black Friday sales, just like gym membership sales. I mean, these things happen. And I guess for those listeners out there wondering, well, what do I do about all this? Because it can be overwhelming. I'm not just talking about Black Friday sales or how to lose 10 pounds, but the whole thing. You know, I would say you have to talk to professional, you know, and I don't mean like a lay on the couch, talk about your childhood professional. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, a, you know, talk to somebody like, I don't know, maybe a member of the CM group. Yeah. That is going to be able to show you the cyclality. Cyclality? Is that a word? No. No, I just made cyclicality. it up. Cyclicality. <laughs> cyclicality. I liked mine better, but it was Cy short. How about cycleness? <laughs> cycleness. That is definitely not a word. All right. But you've got to be able to talk to somebody about like what's happening in a safe space, right? 
and setting a saving strategy, setting that specific goal, right? I want to be wealthier is not a specific goal. I want to be financially well off is not a specific goal, right? But if you do a financial plan that says, I need to save this amount of money. If I want to support a $100,000 a year lifestyle, how much money do I need to save and how many years do I have to do it, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, All those details. You could work with a member of the CM group about setting a savings strategy, like you mentioned, having regular and automated savings go into your portfolio, having regular and automated investments to go along with it, just like you mentioned. I mean, these are things you can do. And some of those are easy. And we're not always suggesting taking the easiest route, by the way. So, for example, as we were talking about all this losing weight business, you know, the easy route might be to get your doctor to prescribe one of these weight loss drugs that seem to work so well. But you know what? Is that the best way to do it? Wouldn't it be better to adjust your lifestyle, include more exercise and eat more healthy as a way to do something that will maintain it without having to be on a pharmaceutical product for the rest of your life? So yeah, there are easy ways, but they're not always the best. So you want to approach it with mindfulness and seek professional advice. Last year, for example, you know, when I decided I wanted to lose some weight, I saw a dietitian. She was very helpful. Wasn't like, uh, you know, you go in and her opinion is, you're too fat. Well, she probably thought that. (laughs) Her opinion was, look, there's ways to improve. You don't have to change your lifestyle completely, but there's things you can do, you know, and uh, the same thing goes for exercise and the same thing goes for investing your money. I remember going to the same trainer I mentioned earlier, and it was a really busy time of year because... Well, most of the year is kind of busy in our world. And he said, how are things? I said, oh, super busy. And he said to me, you don't think everybody here is busy? You don't think everybody here has a version of busy right now? Yeah. You think you're the only busy one? Yeah. I was like, okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> you're right. And um, so when I hear things like, uh, I'm too busy to work out. I'm too busy yeah. to eat healthy. I'm too yeah. busy to monitor my investment uh, Yeah growth, yes, whatever it might be, I would argue that, no, you're not too busy. You're just maybe, I don't know, putting your efforts in the wrong place. They need to reallocate. Yeah. And sometimes you got to go through the hard stuff to get to the good stuff. Just like we had to go through September and October to get to November and December. Yeah. You had to survive it. And then you're rewarded. You know, same thing with working out. And here's what's interesting. One last point, you know, about how, and this is an annual point. Wait, can we record this and play it every year? No. Okay. Because it's kind of specific. A lot of fear about bond yields. You know, bond yields have risen quite rapidly over, you know, the last couple of years, obviously, given the changes in interest rates that the central banks have implemented. And I was just looking today and the the 10-year bond yield in the U.S., which peaked at five, I think it started the year at about 3.8%, peaked at over 5%. There was a big to-do when interest rates went over 5% on the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond and lots of hand-wringing and markets sold off and bond markets sold off by definition. You know, where are we today? Exactly down at about 3.8% where the 10-year bond yield started the year. So even a year, even when you make annual resolutions for 2024, that's a long time. A lot can happen. And don't get put off by what happens in the short term. Keep your eye on the horizon, not on the waves, as they say, and uh, things should work out. Keep your eye on the horizon and your hand off the bonbons. There you go. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, I well, guess that's just we've it. beaten that one to death. Yep, yep, for All sure. Right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. 
To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kreminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.